Hello, everybody, and welcome. It is Thursday, the 27th of January. It's one o'clock in the UK. Thank you so much for everyone that is watching live and also watching and listening on demand. This is the Dan Assel Show. I've got a special guest waiting in the studio, who I will introduce in just a second. Uh, as always, I encourage you to go to danassaw.com for all of my content. Uh, search Dan Assaw on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and you can sign up and follow me on there to be notified first about all my episodes, all my programs. I've got some fantastic shows coming up, including today. As always, want to thank my community patrons for the support of my channel. So that's Smart Digital, Tarsus Group, 19 Group, and SISO, the Society of Independent Show Organizers. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to introduce my special guest today. And what, what more do you want to do on a Thursday afternoon and talk about mergers and acquisitions with Steve Monington. Hi, Steve. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks uh, to everybody for um, spending a bit of time to come and listen to us. I hope yeah, thank, thank you. And I should say, Steve, and we mentioned it before, that if anyone wants to ask you a question or they've got comment on anything that we discussed today, please pop it in the chat, even if it's on demand. Um, we Obviously, we can still respond to it afterwards as well. So, Steve, we've got you for you know best part of 20, 25, 30 minutes. So let's 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 move forward. We're going to talk all about mergers and acquisitions. First, you have to say that you're the founder of Mayfield Merger Strategies, and your website says, and it hopefully it's true. Um, you're you specialize in exhibitions in the events industry. You're an advisory firm, and you've got more than 20 years of experience as brokers for independent and large corporations. So we're gonna head straight into it. COVID, the C word. Oh, yeah. that hit however many moons ago, or we're still going through it. I'm not quite sure. How did that affect um, the M&A or M&A in the exhibition industry? It was horrible. I mean, really, <laughs> no, I mean, it was it was horrible. We could we could see we could see over a period of a couple of weeks um, at the beginning of March, the way things were going. And we had we had a number of transactions that we were at various stages of in process, including one which we'd just been through due diligence and we were about to go into legals. Yeah. And we just knew that people were going to put the businesses on hold. Um, you know, as shows got, um, uh, got less and less certain they could take place. And within one week, within March, um, every single project that we had was just put on hold. Not sure. Not, not cancelled just postponed um and from that moment on we were kind of treading water for the best part of a year and a half sure. um, until things started to come back in september uh 21 so, sure. so yeah for that whole period it was uh, it was pretty grim and you know our clients were who were predominantly entrepreneurs you know it's quite an emotional thing the MA process for them yeah and, you know, it's life-changing money. It's their one shot at getting, you know, a, a decent payday for all the hard work they've put in. And to have that whisk, both to have that whisked away from them, you know, um, suddenly, and not to be able to run their shows, they were, uh, you know, they, they found that really difficult to deal with. Yeah, I can imagine. See, because you obviously, you represent both sides, but I guess predominantly you're looking at the independent show organisers or a show organiser that wants to, or potentially has an asset that wants to, wants to be purchased. I yeah. guess, though, as you said, during that period, people were then looking at, okay, so, you know, work on the basis we're going to get through this. 
That's that's a song, I'm sure. Uh, my head. Um, <laughs> I think that's live. I can't. I don't know. I mean, as soon as I said it, I, I had some strange visions. But um, so, what sort of advice are we giving them? So, I guess you know, to make sure that look, we are going to come through this. You still got a saleable asset. What are the sort of things that you that, what were you advising them to do during that period? Stay afloat. Yes, it's <laughs> good advice. <laughs> Nobody can sell a business business that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I think I think the biggest piece of advice we gave people was don't be tempted by fire sale offers. Yes. So yes. we had we had almost every week we had venture capital, private equity, people who had never been in the industry, other people calling us up asking us whether any of our clients were in financial difficulty and wanted to sell. And we just explained to them that, um, you know, people weren't going to sell uh, in the bottom of a V curve. Um, and, you know, we were encouraging the organizers. We actually put groups together because we also ran something called the Event Entrepreneurs Club. So even though people weren't our clients, we were putting groups of people together six at a time in telephone conversations for them to swap um, ideas and experiences of how they were getting exhibitors to roll over their um, the deposits to the next show, what this furlough meant. I mean, all of these things which we take for granted now, yes. but we knew at the time, which venues were playing ball, which ones were being too aggressive, you know, with the organisers and their tenancies. So we were just giving whatever advice we could to help them get through it. And to reassure them that um, when they came out of it, you know, things would pick up again. Sure. There were some deals done during the pandemic or during the last 18 months, weren't there? So, and also during lockdown, whichever lockdown you, you want to reference. Can you sort of bring, maybe bring one or two of those to life? Yeah. So, I mean, normally, if we if we look at uh, all the transactions that take place across the world in the exhibition industry, there's somewhere between 70 and 90 transactions a year. Typically, in 2020, there were 40. In 2021, there were 40. So we were about half the level. And if you actually consider that the first couple of months of 20 and the last four months of 21, everything was operating more or less as normal. We were probably operating at about 20, 25% of, of, of normal capacity, but the deals that were being done were anything but normal. So we had, we had quite a lot of um, COVID related transactions. Um, what, does what does well, that mean? Please explain. Well, <laughs> smaller companies that were in trouble um, right. taking shelter with larger companies yeah so there was a you know one of the german messes in um in in asia you know picked up a couple of shows from one of the private organizers in singapore uh because they wouldn't have been able to survive without without them doing that sure um, there were quite a few american associations who found themselves in trouble as a non-profit organization, they didn't have the ability to take uh, government uh, support, financial support. But, you know, there are so many association-owned events in the States where the show is so large that it constitutes most of the money that they get to um, fulfill their members' activities. So there was a kind of a double hit there. So we saw a few association deals being done. And the other deals that were done were uh businesses which were primarily digital uh yes. or which had successfully pivoted towards digital 
So one particular business, quite a large transaction, but I think probably the largest transaction that happened during pandemic was Clarion's acquisition of uh, Quartz in the States, yeah. um, kind of um, executive briefings, round tables. And, you know, that was a company that had run uh, uh, primarily in-person events. And they were so successful in their move yeah. to digital that Clarion actually acquired them um, halfway through, halfway through the pandemic. I think it was in between lockdowns, but, you know, they were confident enough to buy that business then. Uh, but there were very few what I would call um, normal, usual transactions. So I guess that's that's a really interesting example. And I guess that's an example of, um, you know, being opportunistic in a positive way. Yeah. Um, cash you know, rich organizations, of which there still were many, um, looking at what, you know, how they could get ahead of the curve and predicting the future in terms of, you know, how people wanted to consume their content and interact with exhibitors. Mm-hmm. Um, so the obviously shows have been running in person over the last 12, even sometimes 18 months, depending on what part of the part of the world you're at. How do you think um, the industry's recovered from a, an M&A perspective? Are you seeing much activity, lots of discussion going on? Could you bring a few to life? I know you've been involved in a significant one yourself. Yeah, we've. I mean, we've <clears throat> we've done four transactions in the last uh, in the last four months of 2021, uh, three of which were pretty sizable. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that what we're finding now is that there is engagement by all of the usual um, acquirers, um, which, you know, the the acquisition process takes several months. So, you know, just because shows come back in September doesn't mean you're going to get a deal in September or October. So I think that the, uh, I think that 2022, we're probably going to see the normal levels of transactions come back. I mean, there were, there were, seven deals that were done in December alone. Um, and, you know, we're working on, of which we, of which we did, uh, we did four in four months. We've got, yeah. we've got eight live projects now, um, which we would hope to uh, sell in 2022, which is our normal level of activity. You know, normally we will handle seven or eight transactions a year. And I think that we will probably do that in 2022. Sure. Uh, and you know, looking at looking at the rest of the activity, I wouldn't be surprised if we get back to the 60, 70, 80 uh, uh, number of deals um, that were happening in 19 and 2019 and 18 and, and and earlier. And I appreciate you can't give us too much insight into the specifics of the deals, but potentially are these um, deals that were almost going to happen or were predestined to happen sort of a couple of years ago, but people have waited to see how things have panned out or are they new ones? So there's a few new ones, but there are, I mean, there's, you know, there are probably three types of transactions happening at the moment. There are the ones which were well advanced and which were put on hold back in 2020. So the the big data deal that we announced uh, in January when we sold um, Big Data London to, yeah. to Reed, that was originally supposed to happen um, in, in uh, the first half of 2020. Um, so there's a number of transactions like that which have been reactivated. Sure. There are quite a few people who had been planning to go to market and we were preparing them for sale. And then, of course, they couldn't. So they've reactivated those things. 
but there's also people now who have been through the pandemic and having got their business back to uh, a position where they can actually run a show, they're wondering whether they should actually now cash in. Um, You know, and uh, I think that, I think the 18 months has taken its toll a lot on the smaller independent organizers. Do you, I'm just trying to think, just based on what you just said, do you think that's a possible, that's an issue for the industry? Because, you know, consolidate, we hear words of consolidation, which tends to happen at times of crisis, you know, 2008, where there was the recession, you know, there was lots of consolidation in various markets, not just obviously exhibitions, yeah. and M&A activity set, tends to spike. But do you think that means that we could be left with just a few players and like there's no room for the independent organisers anymore? No, I don't believe that. I mean, you know, I started off by saying we, there are between 70 and 90 transactions a year, every year. And I think that, there is a cycle here, um, you know, in the industry, if you actually look at the big organizers and analyze their portfolios, 90% of their portfolios uh, of events were at one stage or another acquired um, from a, a, an entrepreneur. There sure. are very few events which are created by the big organizers other than um, geoclones or replications of, of existing shows and you know add-ons to add-ons to shows um and so you know if we were going to dry up then it would have happened back in 2014 and 2015 and the fact is that there are so many innovators out there so many people who who leave big organizers and launch shows um because they get fed up of um having to jump through the hoops of the of the um of the um launch proposals and also people see how much money their peers have made by leaving setting up their own companies and selling them um and you know that's uh, you, you can make many millions for yeah. four five six years of work hard yeah. work so you're always going to get entrepreneurs who will just continue to create businesses and ultimately the larger organizers whether they're publicly quoted or they're private equity owned will inevitably buy those if they're good if they're good events. So I, yeah. I, th- I think that will continue. I don't see any I don't see anything slowing down. And I think that there are more and more different types of businesses coming on the market now and, and businesses which are being created as people move with the times. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go and talk about this. So new business models. Um again, lots of buzzwords have gone around the last couple of years, one being omnichannel. Yep. So lots of organizers, organizations, show organize existing events are um speaking with their communities over the year, across the year. So yes, they might have their main sort of two, three, four, five day event at one point of the year, but also they're having a series of interactions and communication with their uh, delegates and exhibitors um before and after that. How has that affected MA and you know organizations and as you say, new startups? the types of events they're doing, uh, whether that's virtual, hybrid, digital, just bring that to life a bit in terms of the conversations and transactions that you've seen. So, I mean, we talk regularly to um, big organisers to get a sense of what their strategy is and therefore what sorts of businesses they're going to be looking for. And one of the one of the interesting things that has been coming out for the last year and has been has been strengthened by what everybody's been through 
is the fact that people are less hung up now about an exhibition and more interested in the data and the communities yeah. and how to um, how to get those communities and, and use that data to get people interacting. And the business model is almost is almost secondary to that. And I think a good example of that is these one-to-one businesses. So one of the transactions that we did um, uh, we did in the last part of last year was the one-to-one group, which is a mining investment business, which we which we sold to Hive. Um, and you know, this is um, investors meet investment, and it's very specialized. It's not an exhibition, but using the data and the context to create meaningful interactions. And sure. we see that not just with investor and investments, but we see that with buyers and sellers uh, in, in, in those types of events. And also, once you've got the data and you've got the high-level communities, you can create um, roundtables, you can create um, um, you know, other, other one-to-one events. Some of them are transactional. Some of them are about learning from peer groups about best practice. And I think we're starting to see, um, you know, we've had a number of companies that have been created in these areas, which which haven't been brought to market before, because you know, back in 2019 and earlier, everybody was focusing on the big trade show, um, sure. and the big trade show then went to well, you know, we've got to have lots of content rather than just a traditional trade show, and that's where people like Closer Still. Um, came in with their, you know, high level of content driven events. But what we've done now is we've then we've we've moved on from that to uh, a great interest from the buyers in in one to one businesses. So I mentioned um, Quartz, which uh, Clarion bought earlier in twenty one. You know, at the end of the year, they bought a business called Consolar. Um, which is, you know, a similar business, different sectors, but, you know, this whole idea of one-to-ones, some digital, some in-person, roundtables, etc. cetera. Um, and we see, um, you know, we see, uh, we, we see Hive having done the mining one. And most interestingly for me was Closer Stills acquisition, or uh, as they put it, investment in um, influence. Influence in the US, yeah. And that's particularly interesting to me because, you know, Closer still have a business model. The business model is create fantastic content, um, you know, organize it around CPD credits, do low cost or no cost education, get all of that community there and then build an exhibition, wrap it around it. So you get all the vendors there. This is quite a departure for them um, into, you know, into the world of one-to-ones and round tables. But I also thought it was interesting because traditionally, Closer still have looked at technology, healthcare, learning. And actually, if you look at the portfolio of events they've bought, it's in retail, it's in a number of different areas. So not only is it a new business model for them, but it's new sectors for them. And I think that underlines the move towards those things. You know, um, Emerald bought some of these businesses a few years ago, Tarsus have been have been in this market for a while so you know increasingly we're getting more and more of these organizers turning their attentions to better use of data to create uh, to create value and therefore profit yeah thank you that's really really interesting and in terms of 
emerging markets. So you've mentioned obviously US. We obviously, you know, they're leading the way still, I guess, in the amount of transactions. Uh, and obviously, there's there's been you mentioned a few uh, led from the UK and Europe. Talk to me about some other areas of the world um, and some of the deals that you have or will be working on, and just generally how the land lies over there. So, I mean, it, it, it's you're absolutely correct. USA and UK lead the way, and uh, you know, if we look at the 40 transactions that happened in 2021, 15 were in the USA, 11 were in the UK. So, you know, um, significantly more than half. Um, I think that emerging markets is currently hampered by um, patchy return to live events. Sure. Um, you know, part of this is is because their um, the government's attitude towards COVID management is far more draconian than ours. You only have to look at China, where you get you know you get five or ten people. Um, testing positive and they close entire cities down yeah um, you know and the exhibition industry has been hampered by that in other countries you know for example Indonesia where we've done a, a bunch of deals in the past you know they're they're not convinced that they're going to be getting back to I mean they're starting to get back into events but when you've got low vaccination rates as well um, it doesn't it doesn't help um, sure. So I think that I think that one of the challenges of places like uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, is that most businesses are very small. Um, most independent businesses are very small, and therefore there's there's a challenge for people who want to sell their businesses right now because they've almost been wiped out. You know, if businesses are running at sixty percent of or eighty percent of where they were pre-pandemic. And they were small to start with, you know. They become sure. they become really uh, um, unprofitable. So I don't think we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see much activity in you know in the. Let's wait and see until you know how that how it develops. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean China will always be there um, yeah. because China's an interesting market. It's a much bigger market. It's got a lot of um, it's got a lot of excess venue space, so people can launch shows, can grow shows. GL Events acquired uh, an event in China at the end of December. Um, we spent most of the pandemic working on the buy side for Tarsus for a printed circuit board show uh, in China. Um, so people will continue to, to be looking at China. But I think that the number of businesses that will get sold outside the USA and the UK will be relatively small. And I think that actually a lot of increasingly the activity is going to be coming from the USA. USA looks like it's going to be a really busy market for the next for the next year or so. Yeah, and Emerald obviously announced the acquisition um, of, uh, you know, the show, the cannabis show from MJ BizCon as well, didn't they? So Yeah, they, fi they finished the year on a half. Yeah. Uh, it, was, um, it was a December the 31st transaction. Yeah. <laughs> Late night New Year's Eve. Just want to move on to valuations quickly because, you know, a few years ago we were seeing multiples of, you know, anywhere between 12, 15, even up to 20 times uh, profits. Do you see those sort of multiples um, carrying on in terms of acquisitions in the future or do you think those days are sort of gone? I mean, I think those sorts of multiples only ever apply to very large companies. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, when you look at Reed's acquisition of McBrooks, you know, which was a double digit multiple, you know, that was a, that was a, a big chunk of business. I'm not quite sure uh, where that sits today uh, post pandemic. And, you know, routinely the private equity exits from um, from people like uh, Clarion as they sell on uh, to the next private equity, you know, incoming private equity firm and closer still have attracted have attracted those sorts of multiples. Yeah. But, you know, these those are not the multiples that most businesses sell at. They're the ones that grab the headlines. Yeah. Um, but when you're looking at single shows or small portfolios, what is typical in your experience? More like six to eight, or times profits? Yeah, or? I, I I would say that the range is the range has been six to nine in general. Okay. There sure. are going to be some outliers uh, on both, uh, you know, at both ends. You've just ruined someone's day that's sitting there planning their exit, thinking they're going to get twenty times. <laughs> I was talking to a I was talking to a guy uh, the other day, telling him it was a good time to sell. He said, "So you're telling me I'm going to get twelve times?" And I went, yeah. "You were never going to get twelve times." Well, that's an interesting one because I want to talk about that because, it, as you said, it is an emotional business when you're when you're you know launching your event, running it, and then potentially selling it because typically, you know, the seller will have a an inflated view of potentially what it's worth because they've put their whole life into it. In your experience, what gives an acquisition the best chance of success? And also from the other side, you know, in terms of preparation, preparing for that acquisition. Um, it comes down to selling at the right moment, um, having enough track record. I mean, it's, it's got to be market leading show. Nobody's interested in buying the second show in the market. Sure. Um, it's got to have good retention rates year on year um so stickiness of, of of the exhibitors it's got to have shown good growth for a number of years so you've proved the concept um and you've got to sell at a time when there's a lot of growth left in the business for the purchaser and that's the difficult bit to explain to an entrepreneur when they go, well, yeah, but I'll just run it for three more years. And you go, well, yeah, and then it will level out and it may actually start to decline. And, you know, we've we've had conversations with people who who say, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait a couple of years, and then something happens and they end up not selling it. Yeah. It's really tricky to know what that point in the curve is. But, you know, the more, the more growth there is left in a business, the higher a multiple you're going to get for that business. Yeah. And that's a really interesting nuance, isn't it? Because you think potentially I've got to take it to the max before someone would buy it. But actually, right. you're absolutely right. You need to show that they can de develop it um, and actually bring it on more. That's that's an, that's an interesting point. Um, private equity, they still excited about this space? Because obviously they came on board. They like the cash that it generates. It was, um, it was yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, private equity have kind of grown in importance in this in, in in the business and there are more and more private equity firms getting involved backing individuals um i was i was interested to see how supportive the you know the um the private equity firms were of their of their investments um because this was new territory to them and you know private equity is all about is all about growth and obviously when you have a fund which has got you know many many different um, uh, investments in it, of which one is a trade show business, and the trade show business isn't running at all, inevitably people are going to be coming under pressure sure. about 
about underperformance. But you know, the likes of um, uh, you know the likes of Blackstone at Clarion and um, and Providence at Closer Still, to name a couple. You know, were very supportive of the businesses. I mean, we all know that the private equity model is based on entry point growth and exit. Uh, and I think it's clear to most people that the exit um, plans for people like um, Blackstone and Providence must have been delayed for a couple of years. Um, sure. Um, you know, so we, we, we will see what happens there. But, but what is what to me is really interesting is the is the new are the, are the new players. Um, and if you look at um, Apiary Capital, who backs Duncan Kirk and his team at Raw, um, yes. Raw B two B, you know they bought that business. They they funded the buyout of the shows that uh, Nick Moss at Prism had created back at the end of two thousand and nineteen. I think it was December two thousand and nineteen. They ran their first show in September twenty one. Um, but you know, so so it, this isn't even like somebody like Closer Still or Clarion or Tarsus, who are owned by Charterhouse, where you know some events continue, some events don't continue. But you know, you've got a whole history. Here's a company coming in for their first ever play in this in this arena, yeah. and they've got to sit on their hands for twenty one months. Um, <laughs> yes, you know, but but they showed their they 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 showed their backing, and they actually made a second acquisition back in August, yeah. even before they ran the first show from the original acquisition. So, so it's illustrative, illustrative. There's there's life yet in the private equity model. I just want to ask you about emerging trends as we finish up for this year. We've touched upon some of them um, in terms of the types of acquisitions people are going to make maybe out of their traditional uh, sec business sector or type of show. What other trends do you, if we're sitting here in 12 months time, what do you expect to see happen? Well, you know, I've, I've made predictions before and been wrong. Uh, and <laughs> make I, some I, more I, and be right. <laughs> I, did, I, did famous, I did famously make a prediction that we were going to get some, um, some data companies piling into the exhibition sector. Uh, and I still think that's a that's that's a possibility to get some to get some new entrants. But honestly, I think it's if we look at the if we look at this next year, it's going to be predominantly about about private equity. Um, you know, we're going to see some plans start because you know every private equity firm is financed by debt. Uh, every 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 um, uh, exhibition investment is financed by uh, is financed by debt, and at some stage that debt matures, sure. and therefore there is a kind of a ticking time bomb, if you like, that you know at some stage they've got to sell on, um, and uh, I think we're going to be in that position for for some of the organisers over the next over the next couple of years, maybe maybe even sooner. Sure. I think the other thing that we're seeing is uh obviously we've got the new guys like um like raw we've also got simon foster's arc uh yeah. business which has been you know backed by eagle tree and canson and that, uh, they raised money in advance of having acquisitions right which they, is not, not they, typical. they did something which i don't think has yeah. which i've never seen before and all, all credit to simon um that they actually got commitment for the cash before they actually had an acquisition yeah. normally you know, private equity-backed people will scratch around for ages looking for a uh, looking for a platform deal um, before everything gets signed off, and then they make the acquisition. Um, 
he kind of did it in reverse. Um, and, you know, we should see more transactions there. But I think we're also going to see um, uh, there are a lot of individuals at the moment, predominantly in the States, who have left larger organizers, partly because of the pandemic, yeah. who are talking to private equity about funding them through a buy and build strategy. So I think we're going to see a lot more newcomers to the market, uh, as well as um, as well as the growth of the relatively early stage ones that we saw last year. And we're going to start to see entrance and exits of the more um, advanced, uh, longer term ones. So I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of private equity activity this year. Sure. That would Thank be you. Thing. Thank you. And just finally, can't let you go without asking you what your favourite exhibition is, because I know you love attending exhibitions, don't you? <laughs> Do you know what? I don't. I shouldn't, I shouldn't really say this, but you know, a, a day out at an exhibition is probably one of my least favourite days. But it is something that you have to do. I would say that. I mean, you know, and the reason for that is because you know it's really hard to get interested in extracted tubing systems. Well, uh, you know, um, <laughs> whatever um, floats your boat. But which so one? Which one do you like yourself, and why? My my favourite exhibition is Music Messer in Germany. Um, okay. I mean, I'm a bit of a muso myself. I play bass and I play keyboards. And the fact that you can actually go around this exhibition, go into a drum booth, put on a set of headphones, play something, play whatever you want to play. There are live bands, bands who you thought died 10 years ago, you know, are, uh, are there playing live uh, on the floor. And it's just that to me is 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 my sure. ideal exhibition. Fantastic. Listen, Steve Monison, thank you so much. We could have gone on for hours, I'm sure. We're, we'll definitely have you back on the show. Where's the thing? I'm just looking at the time. It's amazing. Well, that's it. 34 minutes almost. 34 wow. minutes. So um, Steve from Mayfield Merger Strategies, we look forward to reading uh, more about the industry as a whole and obviously you and the deals you're going to be doing um, over the next 12 months. Just hang by in the studio. So that was that was Steve. Thank you so much to everyone that's watching live, listening on demand, um, either in audio or video formats. I've got some other great guests coming up, including Julius Solaris in a couple of weeks. Uh, Sam Allen, who's going to talk to me about conference producing. I've got Corby Hare, who's going to be talking about the metaverse and NFTs. Head to danasaw.com. Enjoy the rest of your day and your week.